All right, we survived the snowstorm. Amen. It is funny. Um, I don't know many of you guys know that Macy took a new nursing position um, back in late August, which has been good for us on many levels, uh, most levels. But what's unique about that is it's not the hospital anymore. So Wednesday, she got a text message that Thursday, they're canceled. So she didn't have to work on Thursday, but then Friday they had work. Makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Thursday, nothing really happened. Thursday night, when everyone's off work, that's when everything came. And then Friday, they had to work. They're like, we need to make up all the money that we lost on Thursday. So um, yeah, it was fun to uh, have Macy home on Thursday. But that was like, I don't know, it was like 7 o'clock, and I'm out snow blowing and uh, helping some neighbors and doing some things, right? And I'm snow blowing, and then she's like, hey, um, are you coming in so you can eat? Like, well, I'll be in when I be in. She's like, well, I'm packing my lunch. I'm like, what are you packing your lunch for? She's like, I got work tomorrow. I'm like, you didn't have work today, but you have work tomorrow. This stuff doesn't make sense. But um, nevertheless, just to show you how, uh, let you know who I am a little bit more. You understand I'm not that mechanical of a person. I'm slowly learning how to um, do more things around the house. It started with me not knowing how to change a headlight and being out there for hours trying to change a headlight to now where I can do many other things within the house, like put in some flooring and cut a piece of wood. So we have the snowblower, and um, it's not our snowblower, but we were borrowing Macy's uh, mom's snowblower. And it was fixed last year, so everything was kosher with it. So I'm out there trying to do my man stuff, right? I'm going to snow blow this, and I'm going to blow this stuff 40 feet in the air and make sure everyone in the neighborhood know who's got the real snow blower. <laughs> Look, if you're a guy and you don't blow the, uh, the snow 40 feet in the air, you got a problem. You can't be trusted. So I'm blowing that stuff, or I, I'm, I'm just dreaming, salivating of just blowing all the snow over everyone's houses and on top of their cars and creating new piles everywhere. So I go out there and I pull the string, you know, I prime it, do everything that you're supposed to do, pull it, prime it, nothing's working. Like, come on, like I at least know how to start small engines. Pulling that thing, pulling that thing, I'm like, why won't this stupid thing work? So then I finally pull it so hard, the string breaks. Like, now what? So now I'm stressing out, like, well, maybe I'll go out to Lowe's, I'll buy a new um, tension reel. And, um, but I don't know if they have ones that'll fit. So I pull it out and finally just cut the string and restring it, and I put it back on. Well, the snowblower has many different holes um, that you can fit the, um, reel, the tension reel on, right? Look at me using big mechanical words, too. Tension reel. So I put the tension reel on, and I got all the wrenches out. And the place is a wreck now, because I have my wrenches out, and I had wrenches in the truck. But if I went inside, now that I've been in the snow, what has to end up happening is I have to take my shoes off, because Macy just mopped the floor. So I don't want to take off my shoes. So now I'm ripping apart the um, garage to get my wrenches that are not in the truck. So I get those out and all over the place, getting the right one. And then I finally put the tension reel back on. Well, the unique thing about the tension reel is when it fits, it has adjustable holes on the snowblower so that you could really put it however you wanted to. 
So typically, when you pull a lawnmower, you're pulling it this way, right? Well, I wasn't paying attention, so when I put the tension reel on, the only way that you could pull it is now this way. <laughs> See, I'm learning to be a man. So now I'm testing the snowblower, trying to get this thing to start, and nothing is working. So then now I'm like, well, I put a carburetor on my weed whacker earlier in the year. It doesn't feel like it's getting gas. So I'm going to look at the carburetor, see what's going on, follow the gas lines. This is about an hour and a half in. Macy texts me. She's like, what's going on? Is it not working? Like, are you done? I'm like, no, um, it must be broken. So then she comes out, and then now I really got to act like I know what I'm doing. You see here, this is where you put in the gas. This is the tension pulley. Uh, and um, what ended up happening then is I followed the gas lines. Nothing's coming into the carburetor. The primer's not working. I follow it and get all the way over here, and there's an on and off switch for the gasoline. <laughs> Turned it on, pulled, pulled it, three strokes. We're up and running. I'm blowing 40 feet, I'm blowing the snow everywhere. So uh, praise God, amen. Uh, God met me in that area because I was mad. Now, you say, why are you sharing stories about your life at church just so you get to know some of the drama and who I am and that um, don't invite me over to fix your snowblower? <laughs> but yeah, we had quite the experience, and um, I never fixed the way the tension pulley is either. It's just <laughs> stuck that way. <laughs> so I might not fix it. Nevertheless, um, let's pray, and then I'm going to share about our church fast, and uh, we're going to get into today's sermon. Father, I thank you for laughter. I thank you that um, you are laughing at me um, while I'm putting the snowblower back together, and I thank you that somehow you led me to the answer of what was going on. Um, I pray that today that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run towards obedience. I ask that, uh, this, that, that you would do a special work, that your word, as, as we read your scriptures, that, that you would do a special work. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> So we did talk about having a church fast. We are going to participate in a church fast. Now, yesterday, the elders met, and we discussed kind of the ideas of everything. And what was really unique about meeting with the elders is they're saying, you know, Joey, lead us. We don't have a strong conviction right now. So, so lead us. And as I've been praying and seeking God over the past couple weeks, several weeks, about how the church can communally come together and fast, what I felt like God was saying initially was, you guys are going to participate in a 40-day fast. What? 40-day fast? Um, from what? Because I still have the strong conviction based upon Scripture that when we fast, Fasting is not from Facebook. Fasting is not from um, mowing the grass. Fasting, according to Scripture, is withholding from food. 
Now, you're like, are you saying that we're going to go 40 days as a church without eating food? Well, I'm not saying that to you specifically, or that's not even what, as elders, as the pastor, that I'm requesting. What I'm going to request is that we fast as a church from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for 40 days. So that means, essentially, if you wake up before 6, it only means no lunch, right? Some people get up early and they eat breakfast. Um, challenging, for sure. So I shared that with the elders yesterday, and um, they agreed with it, that this is the adventure that we're going to take. And uh, I got home and I shared that with Macy, and then I'm like, what am I doing? Like, the reality sits in. But here's what I know is we are in desperate times, are we not? Seriously, like, <laughs> we're in the 11th hour. Things are changing ever so quickly within the world. And here, here's what many people in America or Christians believe in is, is many people are applauding the um, trucker barricades and trucker um, lines in Canada, right? Many people are applauding that. And if you're unaware of that, many people and many truckers in Canada have said, we are not going to work until we receive our freedoms back. So they had over a 60-mile trucker brigade leading into, um, I believe, uh, Quebec or Ontario, but essentially 60 miles, and they said, we're not going to work until we have our freedoms. And the freedoms that they're looking for specifically is no mandates. If you want to get a shot, get a shot. If you don't want to get a shot, don't get a shot. But we should be able to work and live and grocery shop. So thousands of people are joining together and rallying together. They raised over $9 million to be able to not work and eat and survive during that time. And if you can turn me down just a little bit. Um, so they raised $9 million, but actually what ended up happening is the company that they raised the money through, it was an online company. The company said, we're actually not going to allow you to have this money. We're going to redistribute this $9 million to other charities. So Canada is fighting for their freedoms. And you're like, what does this have to do about our fast? I see people fighting for their freedoms, but the church should be much louder during this season. See, there's people in our communities and family members in our communities and people in America that do not know Jesus. Yet we come to church on Sundays, we go home, and we kind of forget about what happened on Sunday morning, myself included. And then Monday comes around and we forget about it. And what I'm saying is our voice as Christian believers should be much louder than that of a 60-mile trucker brigade. Amen? We should be louder than that. Our actions should surpass that. Because what Paul tells us is the present sufferings of this world pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. So even if we all die today, the pre that present suffering pales in comparison to the glory that is to come. But the glory that is to come is only to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And right now, what we see in this world is a decaying world that doesn't know Jesus. 
It's not something to celebrate, but it's something for us to rise up in. So what we're saying is, will we as a church communally come together and take a serious action to say, I care about my neighbor. I care about my church. I care about my community. I care about this world. I care about our freedoms. And God, what I recognize is I can't do it on my own, so we petition you. And we come together and we do it. I'm not saying no food. What I'm saying is no food from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So um, I understand that there's a lot of grace and mercy. I understand that many people have some health uniquenesses or problems that are going to cause them to have to eat something during the day. God bless you. His grace is abundant. But we have to come together and we have to be, um, we have to be serious during this time. So I'm going to transition here in a second to um, what we're going to fast for, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more specifically. But I haven't heard any applauses or amens yet. <laughs> Last week we talked about money. This week we're talking about food. And you're like, I'm leaving this church. <laughs> but I'll see half of you up in Canada with the trucks semi-protesting. So I had the dream that I shared several weeks ago, and I don't know who all was here and who was not, but I had this dream on Saturday night right before church, or I guess Sunday morning right before church, and in this dream, I was standing in the sanctuary, and I'm getting ready to preach, and the mantle of leadership was being delivered from the schemes of Satan. So leadership, there was some, there was some kind of cloak, scales on the eyes and the hearts and the minds of leadership. And the enemy was doing that very intentionally. And what was happening was God was delivering the demonic from leadership. And as that was happening, as the demonic was being delivered from leadership, the whole congregation, there, were, there was like one seat available in the sanctuary. And it was somewhere over here. There was one seat available. Everything was full. And as um, I guess I was wrapping up the message, everyone in the congregation, like Nineveh, right? Everyone in the congregation responded up here, and they were finding things to repent of. And there was this deep groan and this deep cry of people's spirit saying, God, I need you. God, God, I want you. God, I'm turning from my sin. And there was like this awakening happening within all of us. I personally need an awakening. I believe that we as individuals in here and online and within our communities and within America and within this world need another awakening. Amen? Amen? So my sense is this, is that, that as, 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 as we take this fast serious, as if our lives depended on it, and we come together and we pray together, as if our lives depended on it, depended on it, then um, we're going to see God show up in our lives in ways that we never expected. What if God wants to do something with America, but he starts it here with Mechanics for Christian Fellowship? So what we're going to fast for, what we want to pray into, is the idea that... Um, Leaders, not only at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship, 
but all over, would be delivered from evil. See, do I think that I'm deceived right now? No. But deception, that is, de that is deception, right? You don't understand that you're deceived or it wouldn't be deception. So we want to pray that very humbly that our leadership even here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship isn't, hasn't fallen under some kind of scheme of the enemy. And we want to pray that revival and renewal would take place in all of our hearts during this season. Amen? So 40 days, what, 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 what 40 days kind of means for us is, you know, we thought, well, like, maybe we'll do like three days. And we'll tell people, don't eat one of those days. The other day, do whatever you want. Do a Daniel fast. Or just drink milkshakes or something, right? Like, do one of those fasts. Well, three days to me, it's like you kind of participate in those three days, and you suffer through, those, suffer through those three days, and then you forget about it, and everything goes back to normal. So then I wrestled through, like, God, well, what about 21 days? And I felt like God said, I, I want the church's attention for more than 21 days. Well, how many days do you want it? He wants it for 40 days. So as, as we participate in this fast... We're giving our attention and our prayers to God for 40 days, and I think he's going to do something very special. So I graciously ask you, please participate in withholding from food from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the next 40 days. There's always um, exceptions to the rules, right? Because I know some of you are saying, right now I can't do it. Or some of you are like, yeah, I can do it. But then you wake up tomorrow morning and you're like, I'm hungry. My prayer has been that scripture tells us that when we are weak, he is strong. My prayer is that when we are weak physically, when we are weak emotionally, spiritually during this season, that he will be strong. When we are hungry, which turns into hangry, he will be strong. Amen? So, um, you know, as we discussed yesterday, we've, we've all had experiences as elders participating in fasts. And what we recognize is when we participate in these fasts, we understand that 100% of the congregation will not participate. So, I don't like giving that out. I'm asking that 100% of the congregation would participate to some degree. And I understand that of the 100% of the congregation that's going to participate, many of us are going to fail. But I don't say that as a reason to justify not offering God everything that you have during this fast. I say that to say that when the enemy comes in to condemn you and tell you that you're a failure because you needed a snack because your blood sugar was low, that you're not a failure to hop back up because his grace is sufficient and keep on fasting. Amen? So we don't have to take it so seriously in the sense of um, you're a failure if, if you don't complete it, or your blood sugar is low, or you have medical problems that prevent you from doing it. Here's what I'm asking, is that your yes will be your yes, and your no will be your no unto God. Amen? That's what we learned during the Sermon on the Mount. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So the fast, uh, my, my intention is that the fast will start tomorrow. It's like, you just hit me in the head with it. I could tell you the fast starts next week. 
And you ain't going to be ready then either. <laughs> Me neither. So my intention is that, or I'll say this, church leadership will be um, beginning the fast tomorrow morning. The end date will be March 18th, which technically is a Saturday, um, I believe. No, a Friday. Friday. So then at 6 p.m. Friday, essentially the fast is done. That following Sunday, we're going to come in here and we're going to celebrate. So um, who in here thinks they're going to participate? I'm not asking you to be Pharisees here and brag about it, but we're doing something as a community, as a church. Who, who in here thinks they're going to participate? Amen. Thank you. Now look, you're like, I'm not committing to 40 days. Not going to do it. Joey, you are nuts. I need my brisket. I need my chipotle. I need my Snickers. Here's what I ask that you do who, who do not feel like you want to participate. Here's what I would suggest. Find some days and agree to God. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm not going to commit to 40 days, but I'll commit to 14. I'm not going to commit to 40, uh, 40 days, but I'll commit to 20. Now, I hope that the whole church doesn't have that idea. I hope that many of us commit to the 40 days. So um, each week we're going to have people pray for us. We're going to have people pray for the leadership. We're going to have people pray for revival and renewal. And then we're actually going to meet together um, on a special day, whether it be a Wednesday night or a Saturday morning that the church is gonna come together. So, um, who's excited? I'm anticipating God's move. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, times like these just remind me of how faithful Jesus is because he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And in this, we're talking about giving up 40 days of not eating for 12 hours a day. But Jesus was willing to say, God, my, not my will, but your will be done in the sense of I'm willing to die in the cross so that you and I can have everlasting life with him. So my declaration here is, Father, not our church's will, but your will be done. Amen? All right, if you have any um, clarifying questions, um, just talk to an elder. Um, they will help lead you. And um, yeah, look, you say, well, what about, like, what, what can I drink? What can I eat? Like, we don't want to be legalistic about this. We want to offer everything we have to God. So um, do I think that you should be drinking V8s and um, non-alcoholic Bloody Marys? Or, like, so you get, like, you're, essentially what I'm saying is, like, you I'm not sure that drinking a smoothie with 800 calories in it is really not eating, right? <laughs> like, I can't go blend my Chipotle and drink it. <laughs> so let's not be legalistic about it, but um, you decide when you go home through prayer, God, can I drink coffee? Can I have some tea? Um, can I have lemon water? And then let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? All right. Well, let's get into the sermon. 
Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 6. We are in verses 25 through 34 today. So the more I talk to people, the more I realize how worried we are about the future. How worried we are about the things that may or may not come to pass. And um, most of the things that we worry about never happen in our lifetime anyways. Now, things have been challenging for many of us in many ways over the past couple years. And what I have to say is I cannot walk in anyone's shoes in here. Your shoes do not fit. What I'd also say is your shoe or your feet cannot fit my shoes either. So there's no judgment today about worrying. There's no judgment today about anxiousness or fear. Because many of us have lost a loved one. Someone currently might be sick. You might have lost a job. You might be losing a job. Maybe you're in a crazy cycle with your spouse. Politics may be scaring you. Maybe you can't quit thinking about the past or the future. And all of these things cause us to be anxious. They cause us to worry, to feel frustrated, to have restlessness, to have tension in our lives, to be irritable and to fear. See, these feelings often dictate what our future may look like. If we're consumed with anxiousness, worry, frustration, tension, restlessness, irritability, and fear, that dictates, dictates how my future may look. And fear is one of the most powerful tools that there is. Now, politicians understand that fear is powerful, and that's why politicians sell fear. That's why often the candidates talk more about what the other candidate can't do or will do than they talk about what they can accomplish, right? You watch the debate, and they're always pointing the other finger because what they understand is fear sells to you. Now, how many of us have ever voted more often than not for the lesser of the two evils, right? Or three evils, or four evils, or five evils. You voted for the lesser of evils because what has been sold is fear. So when we make decisions based upon worldly fears, the freedom that God has called us to live in is missing. See, these common emotions have a significant impact on our life's outlook, our decision-making, and the directions of our lives. So this week, Jesus shared with those on the mountain how the love, or sorry, last week, Jesus shared with those on the mountain that the love of material wealth is highly dangerous. This week, he follows it up with the difference between his kingdom and our material anxiousness. God doesn't want us to live dominated by fear and worry. He calls us to live a life based upon his eternal truths, not our ephemeral earthly things. So Matthew 6, 
verses 25 through 34. I'm going to read it all. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire and will not be much, um, will, he not, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Or what shall we wear? For, sorry, or you of little faith, do not worry about saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. So what I want to say is wisdom and anxiousness, anxiety, are often confused. You say, what do you mean by that? Wisdom and anxiousness is often confused. We often think that the anxious thoughts that we have is actually wisdom. So we buckle down on that because the reoccurring thought that's in our mind is, I got to go out and mow my grass. I got to go out and mow my grass. And then we convince ourselves that that's wisdom. Now, it's not not wisdom, but I'm talking about the bigger things of life, right? I can hear some of you now, I'm not anxious about the future. I'm just being wise. I'm using the ability that God has given me to think and plan for 30 years from now or 25 years from now or next week. That may be true, and God certainly wants us to use the wisdom that he has given us. But anxiousness happens when we take what we thought God said and obsess on the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Has anyone ever taken what God has said to us and been stuck on the woulda, coulda, shouldas? How many of us are stuck on some woulda, coulda, shouldas right now? See, this is when we overstep the bounds that God never intended for us. See, this is how easy it is for us to start with wisdom. We find ourselves worried about the future things in our life, such as 401k, our job, our insurance, our pets, our kids, our government, our house, our sickness, our social settings, our family, difficult conversations, physical appearance, annoying co-workers, annoying um, family members, 
The list can go on about things that are making us anxious. And I dare to say, most people in here today are anxious about something later today or tomorrow. And it might even be as simple as anxious about going home and cooking dinner. Some of us might be anxious about going home and eating too much dinner. But most of us are actually going to go home and pile it in. Because we got fast tomorrow. I dare to say that the root of anxiousness is not the lack of material things in this world. It is the lack of faith. The lack of faith is why we obsess and we worry about material things. So in today's scripture, I believe that there's four things that God reveals about faith. Number one, we must have faith in God. Number two, we must have faith to battle our thoughts. Number three, we must have faith to prioritize God. And number four, we must have faith that focuses on today. None of us in here know what tomorrow brings. We often think that faith is a magical thing that we are supposed to muster up and feel great about. Faith is so much more. Faith is our conscious choice to consistently declare God's promises in his word over our life. That is faith. See, when we think of faith as just something that can grow mystically, we're always going to miss the mark. Because how much faith does Scripture actually tell us that we need? A mustard seed of faith. Just a little bit of faith. Faith is, i got to make this clear, faith is our conscious choice to consistently declare God's promises in His Word over our life. That's overall the whole message right there. Benediction. Declare God's Word over your life and believe it. That is faith. So real faith first can only be rooted in Christ. That's it. You can't have faith in any, any other things. It can only be rooted in Christ. So all of today's scripture is about those who put their faith in Jesus and are now under his care. See, if, you, if you're not a believer, you don't have faith in him. These things don't pertain to you. This means that all of our material needs will be met when we are under his care. Now, what we often confuse is material needs and material desires. How many of us have things that we need when we don't need them at all? We've convinced ourselves of the things that we need and we become anxious over our material desires. That God's like, if you would just be set free from these things, you would encounter my presence so much more. Since God tells us our needs will be met, we don't need to be anxious like those who don't know God. And here's what the scripture in verse 32 tells us today. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the pagans, the people who, who are not for Christ, they're not under Christ's leadership, these pagan people, they're pursuing material things all of the time, and that's what their life race is going after. 
God's like, hey, don't worry about those things. Essentially, those who are not God's children don't have, um, have someone to look after them. So the first step of getting rid of anxiousness is to become God's child. And I see many of God's children in here today. So I just want to rhetorically ask, not knowing all of you, are you God's child today? If you're not, I want to share with you John 1.12. Yet, uh, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is how we get to become God's children. And when we become his children, he makes many promises and the promise that he's saying today is that I'll look out for your, your material needs. But he also says in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, watch this promise. Come to me, all of you. Um, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is all of you who are anxious and worried and fearing about the future and dealing with some things emotionally or you're mourning some things in your life, he's saying once you become a believer, once you become my child, all of you who are weary and burdened, he will give rest. Amen? You're not going to find it in buying a new car. You're not gonna find it in building a bigger house. You're not gonna find it in your new clothes. You're not gonna find it in making new food. You're not gonna find it from whatever you're pursuing. The only thing you find it in, the only thing you find that peace, that rest, is in becoming Jesus' child. Amen? Now my caution is this. Just because you are God's child doesn't mean that you will not be anxious about material, earthly things. Because you're like, yeah, I'm still worried about a lot of things. Why isn't this working? It's not a cheat code. God tells us to pick up our cross and deny ourselves each day. See, there's a decision each day that we need to walk in faith in to declare God's, um, God being a father over our life and then declaring his word by faith and his promises by faith in our current situations. Therefore, um, it is still possible for God's children, or sorry, it is still possible for us as God's children to be worried about things because we are not connecting to him in our life. Therefore, we're connecting more with our anxiousness, our worry, and we focus more on those than on his promises. Therefore, anxiousness and worry can be indicators that our faith is lacking. It's an indicator. It, it, it's, it's a caution light. It's something that's coming on our car to say, hey, your tire is running low. So when we experience worry and anxiousness and frustration, 
it might mean that we're not declaring God's word and his promises over our life. Which is why Jesus shares in today's scripture what real faith looks like. And real faith starts with correct thinking. And to have correct thinking, we must battle faith in our thoughts. So point number one, or sorry, two, we must have faith to battle our thoughts. Now in this paragraph that we read, Jesus is letting us know that faith is mostly in our thoughts. I think Jesus is telling us here that the real reason we may experience material anxiousness is because we do not think. Like, what are you talking about I don't think? I'm getting there. Now, your life, um, now, you're like, what do you mean I don't think? That's all I do is think about my problems, right? Any of you in here, like, that's all I do is think about my problems? Ray's like, I got 99 problems, <laughs> but what ain't one? 40-day fast. fast ain't one. <laughs> We're going to make a video now, boy. Now, um, we're like, I don't have problems. I have many problems, and that's all I can think about is my problems. I'm obsessed over thinking about my problems, my issues, my future, my worries, my aches and pains. That's all I'm focused on. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Correct faith starts with thinking. When we face problems, our thinking about those problems seem to cripple us. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen if? How will I pay for this? Life comes at us really fast, leaving us feeling hopeless. So what Jesus is getting at here on the Sermon on the Mountain is to get out of this type of hopelessness, we must battle our thoughts with his word. So when those thoughts of hopeless, hopelessness come, real faith will battle that thought with Scripture. Because those of little faith don't challenge the thoughts in their mind. They let the thoughts in their mind control them. So I ask you, rhetorically speaking, the last time that you had worry, anxiousness, doubt, or a fear in your life, and it came to your mind, and you got stuck on it, and you became infatuated with it, how many times recently have you declared God's word and quoted scripture over that fear, anxiousness, or doubt? And that's what Jesus is saying is, look, you guys, you guys don't challenge your thoughts. Essentially, anxiousness is the lack of faith because you're not declaring his promises over it. Does that make sense? We must battle our thoughts in our mind with God's word. And here's um, how we battle our thoughts. According to the scripture, if God created us, right, he will provide for us until he's ready to bring us home. That's essentially what life is. Now, can you go out and be reckless? No. But in verse 26, what we see is if God looks out for the birds and they don't sow, they don't reap, how much more will he look out for you and I? Because you and I are much more valuable than a bird. 
So when I'm worried about a bill, because I have diligently worked hard, God, I am at work, I'm working my 60 hours a week, and I still don't have money to pay my bill, what are you going to do? See, God's looking out doesn't always overlook our laziness. Amen? Sometimes he's gracious, and with lazy people, he still will bless them. I'm not declaring or even hinting at those who don't work, don't eat in a legalistical standpoint. But what I am saying is we still need to partner with obedience to God. So if the birds don't do it, if the birds don't reap or sow, and God looks out for them, how much more precious are you than the birds is what God's saying. So he's going to look out for you. Amen? So when the anxious thought comes, what we are to say is, God, you look out for the birds. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because you love me more than the birds and you're going to look out for me. Amen? That's how we battle that thought. In verse 27, worry is powerless to add a single breath to your life. So be more productive with your life. Don't just sit there and sulk over the things that you don't have or you wish you had. Be productive with your life because worrying is powerless to add anything to it. And then in verses 28 through 30, if God dresses the plants and Solomon, the richest man ever, could it come close to the plant's splendor with his wealth? How much more does God want to clothe you? God looks out for the plants. So how much more does he want to clothe you and I? See, what Jesus is saying is all of our material needs will be met. Everything that we need for today in this life will be met. So if everything today is going to be met, that means tomorrow I don't have to worry about it, which means 30 years from now I don't have to worry about it, because if I'm lucky enough to have life in 30 years, that means that that very day that I take another breath, God is going to provide for me my material needs. Now, again, my material needs versus my material desires are completely different, right? So many of us get disappointed and frustrated that, well, God, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this. You have everything you need. You are here today. You're watching online today. God has provided you everything you need. <laughs> We're all dressed today. Even if you have to wear the same shirt over and over and over again. Now here are a few scriptures that I want to relate to this section that I've been sharing. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. See, not only does God want to give us our material needs, here's what he says is, I'm pleased to give you everything that I have. The kingdom is yours. I'm, I'm pleased to give you everlasting life. I'm pleased to give you eternal peace. I'm pleased to give you the power to pray for people and then be healed and set free and delivered. Now, we also know that all the power always comes from God, but it's his kingdom. He's pleased to do that. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
So when we say, God, I need a job. I need a job. I need to pay my bills. I need to get $5 million in my retirement. We better start working a whole lot more jobs. What do we say when we're worried about tomorrow? I need my car to be fixed. I have a flat tire. I'm not connecting with my spouse. What do you say? And my God will meet all your needs according to, to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. God's going to meet all of our needs. Romans 8, 32. He, will not, um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Look, we are not thinking. That's the problem. What we're allowing is an outside source to come in and dictate how we feel. Because faith, what faith will do is faith will take God's word. And when those thoughts come in our mind, we will battle them. Amen? God, my physical appearance isn't where I want it to be. I'm ugly. People don't like me. People make fun of me. You declare God's word over your life. So if God has given us salvation through the death and the resurrection of his son, which is the best gift by far, how much more does he want to meet our material needs? So when these challenging moments come, when the worries of life keep us up at night, what do we do? We declare God's love and promises over that situation. So what I wanted to do is there's many scriptures that I'm getting ready to present. I wanted to equip you, right? I wanted to sharpen your sword so that when anxiousness and worry and frustrations come up this week and you seem to get stuck in it, I want to give you some scriptures, a list of scriptures to help you battle this week. So what that means is y'all are not going to remember it unless you write it down, right? So please take a note on your phone, grab a piece of paper, take a picture, write these down. So Joshua 21, 45, here's what it is, is God's promises will never fail you. They just won't. God's promises never fail. Not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God tells the truth, and when he says something, he means it. God is always good. So when you're doubting and frustrated, why would you let this happen? Why is the world where it is today? I hate my current situation. Why, God? God is always good. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. God is always with me. And just raise your hand if I need to slow down, too. I want you to seriously note these. God is always with me. Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
So when the pastor says, hey, make disciples at work, make disciples at school, share with someone the good news of Jesus at Walmart, and my mind is like, as the pastor, I don't want to do it. I'm by myself. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I need to battle that thought in my mind. I need to contend. Say, for the Lord your God, Joey, the Lord your God, Joey, is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, he is with you. Amen? God is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. God is kind and compassionate. Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God is kind and compassionate. God designed you for a purpose. Every one of us, God designed for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do, goods work, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God designed us for a purpose. God loves me deeply, no matter what. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we battling our thoughts? These scriptures are encouraging. As I read them, they're encouraging to me, but what I recognize is I'm not thinking. And I dare to say that many of us are not thinking either. We're allowing the outside source to be what dictates us. You've heard me say this before, Martin Luther, great theologian, right? What Martin Luther said is he said, you can't prevent a bird from landing on your head, but you can prevent the bird from building a nest. So when we walk out of here today, um, Mark and I were leaving Bible club once and a bird pooped on him. True story. He, he couldn't prevent that. But what he could prevent is that bird from building a nest on him. You and I can prevent the thoughts that we keep on um, thinking about. So when those thoughts come, we battle them. All right, next one. God gives me power for my life. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God's presence brings joy. You guys need these. I'm sharpening your sword right now. Psalm one, or sorry, Psalm 1611. 
you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God brings joy. If you're lacking joy, he brings it. God will fill me with overflowing hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, this halftime report of our scriptures is brought to you by the current Bible reading plan we have going on at the church. The only way that we can quote scriptures is if we're in scripture. The next advertisement is brought to you by our Bible memorization plan. The only way that I can combat the thoughts that are in my head are if I've memorized some scripture. And there was a discipleship program that I went through years ago here at the church with Pastor Lyndon. And in this, each week we had to memorize one scripture. And then what you had to do is you had to present that scripture to the person who was discipling you. So what is it, Romans 12, 10, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ than think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Matthew 6, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. So when I'm thinking about getting even with someone or when I'm driving and someone cuts me off and I'm like, I got to put them in their place, if I keep on sitting in that thought and I don't put any God in there, what do I do? I end up giving them the evil, dirty look, swerving in front of them with my cross on the back of the truck, right? <laughs> and then please come visit uh, Mechanics for Christian Fellowship on my bumper, I let them have it. But instead what happens is when someone cuts me off and I'm like, man, I want to, I want to, and then I quote Romans 12, 10, rather think about the Lord Jesus Christ than how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Rather think about the Lord Jesus Christ than how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Rather think about the Lord Jesus Christ and how to gratify the desires of my sinful nature. And then by then a good song comes on and I forget about it. We're not thinking. We're not thinking. We don't have faith. We have little faith because we're not, we're not quoting God's word against our thoughts. Let's get back to it. Now we're back in the, in the game. So... Um, yeah, God will overflow us with over, uh, overflowing hope. God will help and um, strengthen me. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will give you strength and help you. Amen? God will give you wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who will generously to all without finding fault, who will give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
God promises you an abundant life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. My life sucks right now, or stinks. My life is not going well. Is life as a Christian this boring? Life's always going to be this way. Mm-mm. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. We're wrapping it up with these. God has a plan for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The plans for the, uh, the, the they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you. God can be trusted. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So when we have these moments of anxiousness, when we can't sleep at night, God is saying, remember my promises and think about them. And I leave you with this to sharpen your sword. Now, we're not done with the sermon, so don't get, don't get that excited. <laughs> we're just wrapping up this section. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Right there tells us how to think. How many of us have been participating in that right thinking over the past two years, over the past week, yesterday? See, we get these thoughts at work. We get these thoughts at church. We get these thoughts at sporting events. We get these thoughts mowing our grass. And we get frustrated and worried and mad. And what happens is they come in, and then we think about them, and then we entertain them, and then we finally live into them. But if we would battle those thoughts in our minds that the scriptures tell us to think about, so I'm supposed to think about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Church, how much more excited and peaceful would we be if we thought about such things? Amen? Now, the hard part, but God will be with us, is when we're in a conversation with a friend or we're in a conversation with a peer at work or we're in a conversation with a boss um, at work, whatever it may be, and we find ourselves in this situation where it's like they're talking, they're complaining, and now I have to think about them. How do we step away from this type of converse, conversation? We're going to have to um, ask God to give us strength in that. Nevertheless, the cure to worry isn't our thinking, but Jesus is telling us that our cure is in our actions of having faith to battle thinking. 
Okay, I can wrap this one up, these next two pretty quick. So um, we must prioritize God. If not, we're never going to renew our thinking. So we must have faith to prioritize God. The cure for the anxious life is stated very clearly in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. So, prioritize God above everything, and everything that you need will be had. So what does that mean? This looks like prayer, reading the Bible, fellowship, making disciples, fasting, and battling our thoughts. Faith that destroys worry engages in seeking God's heart in everything. One author says it this way. As your mind becomes preoccupied with the things of this world, there will be increasing anxiousness. And once a standard of living is achieved, you do not want to go back down. So the same cycle can start again. Most people will do nearly anything to try to maintain a lifestyle once achieved. So you become increasingly concerned about the future and worry grows. What will happen if I must prepare for that buy? You are now an easy target for an insurance salesman and other marketers to sell you things that you don't need. What a difference can be made if you obey God and rest in his promises. If, you're, if you keep your focus correct and you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, everything that we need will be given to us. So seeking God's kingdom does not mean that we are trying to get saved. If you have received Christ, you, are a, you have a permanent place in heaven, in my opinion. Rather, it means you are seeking to further his kingdom in this world by letting him use you to influence people towards Christ. For example, material generosity. In Luke 12, 33, we're not going to go there, but sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Other ways, by sharing your faith. By loyally using your spiritual gifts to serve others, to discipling others, to prayer, to fasting, to Bible reading. There's other ways that, that we can seek first God's kingdom. Now, seeking God's righteousness does not mean that we're trying to become more righteous by our own willpower. It doesn't mean that you're going to seek fasting to become holier. It doesn't mean that you're going to put on the show in front of people. Doesn't mean that you think you can get saved by your works. What is being said here is that we are, we are to pursue godly character by collaborating with God's chiseling. There has to be a collaboration with the things that God is doing in our life. So have you made this a regular priority in your life? Have you made it a priority to collaborate with God's chiseling in your life by seeking first his kingdom? So if I were to ask you the question right now, what area in your life is God working on 
would you be able to present to me one sentence? This is the area that God is working on in my life. So to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, what that means is there's going to be a chiseling in our life, a sanctification in our life. And we're not partnering with him in that chiseling if we can't say what he's doing. Amen? So do you seek, do you seek his chiseling more in your life or do you seek your worrying strategies? The more you seek this, the more you seek his chiseling, the more you seek his righteousness, the less you worry. So we need to build a lifestyle that is increasingly centered around his priorities. We do that despite our anxious feelings. We need to build a lifestyle that increasingly centers around his priorities. Therefore, this is it, wrapping up. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we need a faith that focuses on today. Amen? Today. Now, that doesn't mean to go out and get $30,000 of credit card debt and not worry about it. Not what he's saying. Ain't worry about nothing. Worry is at its best if it can get us thinking about tomorrow. Worry is at its best if it gets us thinking about tomorrow. Yet faith grows and worry dies when we trust God for today. There's nothing wrong with having backup plans. We must plan ahead, but we are not to become preoccupied and fearful about the future. Tomorrow is in the hands of God. And you may never make it past today. You need to live for God in the present and not live for yourself fearing the future. If we can follow these four steps, life will look a whole lot more positive and fulfilling for us. If we put our faith in God, if we have faith that battles our thoughts, if we have faith that prioritizes God, if we have faith that focuses on today, we will significantly see a change in our life. Build a lifestyle that centers around God and watch everything else fade. So what will this do? How can this help us? In the short term, this releases God's spirit to break the power of anxiousness and will replace it with his peace. In the short term, right? That's what it does. We get relief from everything going on. But in the long term, this builds a personal history of God's faithfulness in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, sometimes it's easier to preach these principles. And then I get home and I worry about um, many things. Pray that you would give me the power and ability to focus on you. Likewise, I pray that you would give all of us in here today the power to memorize scripture and challenge the thoughts in our minds that we wouldn't be thoughtless, but we would intentionally quote scripture to battle against the thoughts that try to take reign within our mind and then our actions. 
So, Father, we just declare your goodness and your faithfulness over ourselves today. And, Father, we just declare for the rest of the t- today that we are going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And everything else will be given to us that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. May you guys be blessed. Um, I'll send out a remind. I'll just uh, probably talk to Pastor Stu. Um, tomorrow, Tuesday, whatever. And we're going to set a date and dates for us coming together to pray as we fast. Amen? All right, youth dinner, sign up for that, grab some coffee. Love you guys. See you next week.